Would you like to take your seats, please, for just a moment, and open up your notes to uh, the top there. Uh, and the first thing I'd like to get you to do is to do a little exercise just to open up with, uh, perhaps if you're here with your, your husband or your wife, or perhaps two or three people in your row, um, just uh, find a person or a couple, two other people to get together with, and I want to ask you a challenging question. And it's at the top there of page two. Um, I want you to tell me, or to discuss in your groups first of all, and then we'll talk about it, uh, we'll open it out in a moment, which of the following do you think is holy? And there's a list of words there, and I'm going to just lob these words out to you, and I'm going to get you to think about, well, could they be holy? Were they holy in the Bible? Have they ever been holy? Could they be holy in the future? Are they definitely not holy? Why would we say they're not? Let's have a look. So we have garden, church, road, desert, mosque, home, car, clothes, cross, Bible, Saturday, Sunday, computer, bed, altar, table. Are these things holy or not? What do you think? Spend two or three minutes with the people around you and just say, yeah, there's a case to say that this and this and this are holy, but definitely not that. Or you can say, well, none of them are holy or all of them are holy. Have a few minutes just to talk about that amongst yourselves. And then we'll kind of regroup and I'll explain why I've asked you to do that. Okay, let's, let's wrap it up. Did anybody have any kind of interesting perspectives? Did anyone definitely think that one of those words was unquestionably a holy thing no matter what? No matter what? Okay, so what about when the devil quoted the Bible to Jesus word for word? Was that a holy thing that he did? He actually, actually and accurately quoted scripture at Jesus in the desert. Did he do a holy thing there? Maybe if I had no holy intentions, but he quoted it. Okay. Out of context. Okay. okay. But was it, was it a holy thing to have done? What about the uh, LGBT Bible? Okay, I don't think that's holy. No. But there are Bibles that will take you away from holiness, and there's abuse of the Bible, which is where it's quoted out of context, or the bad heart, or religious people use it against other people. So is the Bible always holy? Well, I would say yes it is, but it depends on how it's being used. What about, but there's a, are there any words in there that you would say 100% all the time, no, that's never holy? I don't think any of them are holy in themselves. Ah. You have to be a person. So do you think holiness is to do with who's there? Yeah, yes. the church building isn't holy. Okay, yeah. But it's the people inside who make it holy or not. Holy. Absolutely, okay, so we're starting to get into, well, what any of these things could or could be holy or are not holy necessarily. It depends on people, does it? Do you think it completely depends on people or are there any other agencies involved? What do you think? Okay, yes, yeah, so it's got people and God. We're getting somewhere, so keep talking to me. What do you think? What is holiness? The presence of the Holy Spirit. Presence of the Holy Spirit, yeah, that's, that's fine. I'm, I'm good with that. Anything else? The anointing of God. Yeah, the, the, the anointing of God. Well, let me suggest something to you. Let me suggest that holiness is something about God's presence around something. That God has stepped into a situation, and that is what makes it holy. And so if you think of all these different things, God was in the Garden of Eden, and that made it holy. Adam and Eve transgressed, and so the garden wasn't quite so holy as it had been. Um, 
the church could be holy, but we all, we've all kind of heard of and maybe even been in churches where we've kind of felt, well, this isn't really a very holy church. I'm not sure what's going on here. I'm feeling uncomfortable. A road, okay, well, that's not normally holy, but for Paul on the road to Damascus, he had an outstanding holy encounter with God, with Jesus, who said, so why are you doing this to me, Paul? Uh, Saul, as it was, sorry. And it was an incredible holy encounter in that specific place. Anyone think of any times where holiness appears in the desert? Someone said Moses, yeah? Yeah, well, Mount Sinai, yeah, absolutely. He went up to the, the, the mountain to get the Ten Commandments too, right? Absolutely right. What about, what about the burning bush episode? That was right on the desert. And what did God say at that point? Take off your shoes because what? This is holy ground. Now, that, was, that could have just been any random place in the desert, but that was holy because what? Because God's presence was there. So what, what I'm trying to drive at is that none of these things are intrinsically holy. They're not intrinsically unholy. Not even the mosque would necessarily be intrinsically unholy. Now, why would I say that? I would say that because God's presence turned up when there were 450 prophets of Baal doing their thing in a mountain, which we would classify, looking in from the outside, as completely unholy and pagan. And yet God did something in that spot that was very holy. So we can't entirely rule out a different religion not having something holy happen to it. Now, that's a very extreme and diff weird example to try and get your head around, but I would put it to you that God, God's holiness can go anywhere in the universe. And it's his presence that makes something holy or not. And it's our invitation for his presence to bring his holiness to that thing that makes it holy and imbues it or gives it the holiness that it might have. So Saturday might be holy for some people, like God's God's people in the Old Testament, that was their holy day. Because of the resurrection, we've switched that holy day in, in, the, in Christianity to the Sunday, and that's our holy day. But there's nothing intrinsic about a Saturday or a Sunday that makes it holy. It's God's presence on it with the people that he is with at that time that makes it holy. Is that? Are we good with that? Are you kind of getting your head around the idea that holiness is not around things or some, it's not an intrinsic thing? other than that it's intrinsic to God, and if he decides to move in a place or with the people or at a point, that's what brings the holiness. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. You got any questions about any of those words? Like, for instance, would you think there's a point at which the cross is not holy? No, that sounds like complete and utter heresy. Talk to me about that a bit. What do you think about that? When it's worn as jewellery, perhaps. Yeah, that's interesting. So... Kathy's saying when it's worn as jewellery, does the person that may, I'm guessing what you're saying is, does the person always know that it's got that holiness with it, and therefore does that bring its holiness down because they don't understand what they're, you know, it's a kind of a form of blasphemy in a way because they don't really understand what they're saying or doing. Yeah, I get that. That's a good point. What about the cross before Jesus got crucified on it? That wasn't a holy thing at all. It was a form of punishment. God used that and made it into a holy thing by permitting his son to die on one. So we would in instantly as Christians, if you were in a situation where someone would say to you, was the cross holy? We said, well, of course it is, because Jesus died on it. But it wasn't holy until the point that God used it for that purpose. It, in fact, it was awful. It was a horrible, horrible thing. So God's holiness steps into that and makes it what it is because of who he is and because of what he's doing. So holiness, in essence, is the set-apartness of God 
but it's not so set apart that we can't partake in it or that he doesn't influence us or that we can't experience it. So I open this evening by saying holiness is something that's very intrinsic and deeply woven into who God is. It's, it, you can't have God and not have holiness. They're together. They're completely bound up with each other. But God's presence and his relationship with people is what then invests those people and things with holiness. Okay? Are you with me so far? Yes. Okay, I need eight volunteers for this next part. People who don't mind reading a little bit. So would you mind volunteering? And, and, we, and you're going to stand up and can't help me. So just come to the front if you would like to do a little bit of reading. N no pressure, but it's just a, just a little something I'd like to do. Okay? So eight volunteers. Come on, Bern. Come on, Kathy. Great stuff. Thank you, Jason. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Ruby. Come on, Gaudi. No? Come on, Gaudi, with your friend. How many have we got? One, two, three, four. That's great. And we need just one more on this side. Just one more. Go on, Gaudi. I like how she reads. Yeah, what, your friend? Or, oh, oh, pointing. Okay. You need to bring your notes with you. Now, you guys on this side, if you could just spread yourselves down that side of the room, is that okay? Just a little bit of space apart. And then if you guys wouldn't mind just starting at the chairs, going down by the urn, spread yourselves in a line of four, a little bit of distance between you. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to read out just a bit more spacing, if that's okay. I'm kind of going for sort of um, Dolby 8.1 stereo. That's kind of what I'm looking for, okay? So you need to spread out a bit. But if you come down to that corner there, that's great. Now, what I want you to do is we've got a set of statements here in the notes, which are probably really famous verses you, you would want to pick if you wanted to look at the character of God and his holiness. And so what we're going to do is start with burnt, and we're going to go Leviticus, the first one burnt, in a minute. And then, um, Moira, if you do the Exodus passage, um, sorry, tell me your name again. Ben. Fine, if you do the Ezekiel passage, and then Jason, if you do Zechariah, and then we're going to come down to um, Ephesians, Chloe. Uh, 1 Timothy, what's your name again? Ephia. Ephia. If you do 1 Timothy, uh, Rivi, if you do 1 Peter, and Kathy, very aptly, if you could finish with Revelation, that would be superb. Thank you. So what I want you to do is read out the passage. Yeah. Um, there's a little bit where it's I've made it italic because I've tried to highlight the holiness that the, the writer of that particular passage is trying to emphasise. So if you want to emphasise that a bit, you can. But if you feel you don't, you can't, then don't worry. So go for it, Ben. Go for it. For I, the Lord, am the one who brought you up from the land of Egypt, that I might be your God. Therefore, you must be holy. Because I am holy. Thank you. Then Moses said, If you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favor favorably on me, on me and on your people? If you don't go with us, for your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you, and I know you by my name. Moses responded, Then show me your glorious presence. The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. For I will show you mercy to anyone. Sorry, for I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. In this way, I will make unknown my holy name among the mighty people of Israel. I will not let anyone bring shame on me. And the nations too 
we know that I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Be silent before the Lord, all humanity, for he is springing into action from his holy throne. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. In every place of worship, I want men to pray with holy hands lifted up to God, free from anger and controversy. But you are not like that, for you are for you are a chosen people. You are you are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out. Day after day, night after night, they keep on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was, who is, and who is still to come. Amen. Thank you. Would you very kindly take your seats again? Thank you so much for reading those passages out for us. <clears throat> As we were reading through those passages, which of those passages spoke to you? Which of the ones do you feel like, oh, okay, I felt a spirit on that one, or I felt like I need to respond to that one, or, wow, that's an awesome quality of God. Just, just tell me what you think. Just yeah, respond to me. Tell me what you think. I think Revelation, it seems to you, it's all-encompassing, and it covers mm -hmm. all the great qualities of God that's uniquely God-like. Yes. That he's past, present, and future, <coughs> and completely transpired, like, goes over time, and in a way that man cannot understand that, mm -hmm. that he's past, present, and future simultaneously. Absolutely. It's a, it's a fantastic piece of, uh, a fantastic set of statements to be making in a book that wraps up the Bible. You want something that lofty and that grand and, and that all-encompassing. I totally agree with you, really. I think it's great. There's also worship just implicit in it, which is that these beings can't even look at God because he's so holy. They've got, like, you know, wings and they go, you're too great, God, can't look at you. It's, it's awesome, isn't it, really, if you think about it? It kind of gets me. I kind of think, you know, sometimes when God's holiness touches me, I just don't know what to do with myself. I'm like, ooh, like, I totally understand why Peter said when he got a miraculous catch of fish in Luke 5, get away from me, Jesus, I'm a sinful man. I totally understand that, because an absolute characteristic of holiness is that you suddenly realize, man, I'm not very holy. I, I fall so far short of who you are, God. That is a res an, an inevitable response and a proper and a healthy response to holiness. And yet it's also attractive. It's not only something that makes us want to draw away because of the sin in us, but it also want, makes us want to run towards it as well because of its purity. Any other responses that you kind of, that, as the people were reading out, that you kind of, oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, but... Yeah, I think First Peter 2, verse 9 really speaks that we are a holy nation and that he brought us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Yeah, yeah, he did. Transformation, he did. it's a real yeah. transformation. There is a complete transformation. We have gone from one kingdom to another, and we covered that in the, one of the opening sessions about how we've transferred from, a, from one kingdom into another, and there are different like authorities and different principles and different ways of being in this new place, but he has transferred us from a dark place and into a light place. 
and we can show the goodness of God to people because we're missing. Absolutely. We, we've done nothing to kind of earn that. It's all done because Jesus decided that he was prepared to go to the cross for us. And in the, in the, the 1 Peter passage, I sense a purpose behind the holiness. What do you think the purpose of holiness is? Does holiness have a purpose? Yeah, I think there's... What do you think it might be? Yeah, okay. A command that, that we can't just keep holy, our holiness to ourselves. Mm -hmm. It has to be demonstrated for others to see. Yeah. So if people were looking in on us as a, as a community gathered around 1 Peter 2, 9, and they saw, well, in fact, it says, you are not like that as in the old kingdom. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. Surely that should be something that would mark us out and, and make us different and, and come across in a different way. Surely, absolutely. So the purpose in that is that God's trying to use us like salt and light, isn't he? He's trying to, he's trying to present a different way of being than the rest of the world or how other people do things. I also see Christ Yeah, you see, yeah, absolutely. Sometimes when you meet a person who just loves Jesus, you, you see Jesus in them, don't you? You, you just get it, don't you? Yes, Gabby. <laughs> Sometimes, even though, we, like when you're like born again, you know that you have been called out of darkness and therefore you're holy. But because we are still in that sinful nature, like we have the body, so we can sin, and sometimes we don't feel holy. But this scripture, to me, is almost like that God doesn't see that because we have Jesus. He sees Jesus because Jesus is righteous and holy, and mm -hmm. He sees Him rather than our sinful nature. So it's sort of showing what he sees us rather than what we actually see ourselves. Yeah. That's probably the other purpose I... I yeah, so there's a purpose in, 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 a, in a sense for God because if, if we're prepared to receive the righteousness and the holiness that comes from Jesus through following Jesus, then God has a holy possession. He has a holy people. That's possible for that now for God. So often as Christians we think of us, the, the us end of the transaction, but for God who has a holiness that can't be violated and is totally pure and can have nothing dark near it, for him it's, a, 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 it's the capacity to have people with him that Jesus has created that capacity. You know, we are always thinking about the bridge of Jesus to God the Father, absolutely right. But don't forget that for God as a completely holy person who can't have anything evil or wicked near him, what Jesus does on the cross is it brings an inheritance and a possession to him that belongs to him that he made that drifted off. And so that's... A, that's that overcomes the problem of holiness, that what Jesus did on the cross from God's end of the, of the perspective. Any other points, just maybe one or two more, that, that as we were reading those, that really spoke to you? Think, yeah, okay. <laughs> so, um, Ephesians 4, um, yeah. sorry, 1 4, that, um, like Gals was saying, that we, God, before he made us, even before. We came into being, God created us, mm -hmm. and he loved us from the start, and there's nothing that we can do. It sort of reiterates what the message of the cross is, that there's nothing we can do to earn it. We just, Jesus just died for our sins, he just loves us because of what God did, and we, didn't, we don't have to do anything to earn that love. We don't have to do anything to kind of get anything from God, he just mm -hmm. is, he just loves us. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. So you, you are like a son or a daughter. Because of in God's family, because of what God's 
done through Jesus on the cross. And that's not something you can earn, it's just something you have and are, but that you've got to make a decision. It's not something you do, it's more of a, no, I'm going to receive this, I'm going to accept this. Um, I just was struck when you were saying that there, uh, Moira, that even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy. That's actually reverting to the original intent of the Garden of Eden, isn't it? That's what the Garden of Eden was all about. That was the original thing, was everything was fine and, and we were in God, we were in perfect community with God. But Christ had to come and do that restoration, didn't he? Yeah. Jason, were you going to say something? I was actually going to say the exact same thing, to be honest. Um, uh, saying the same thing as an elder. Come on, Moira. You're right in there. <laughs> so, so. Yeah. That holiness really is a, a state of being because we're in, in Christ. Um, yeah. So there's nothing really to add to what you said, but it's a, it's a free gift because we have put our faith in him. And actually, that's the strength then to live out the holiness. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, so he gives us, and we're going to come yeah. on to that a little bit actually in terms of, so mm -hmm. if, if we are in God's family and he's completely holy, where do we get the capacity to, mm -hmm. to become holy like him over time and what does that look like? So yeah, we're going to look at that. I think, Jason, when you read, um, for he is springing into action from his holy dwelling, I just had this image of God in his sanctuary and that it's an incredibly pure place, but he is constantly involved with what's going on in the world from his place of holiness, which is a massive kind of mystery, really, because if I were completely pure and I had a great castle in the sky and everything was fine and set up, would I want to go and get myself all messy and messed up and involved? That shows and speaks the love, doesn't it, of God um, for people. Uh, very much so. That's great. I really appreciate you guys reading that. And I wanted to kind of get a sense of the, of the 360 of it because I think it's great to hear different voices. And I was inspired to do that really from the last passage of the different creatures in, in God's holy place and them crying out in that way. And I just felt like that was an appropriate thing to do. So I hope that that blessed you tonight. Um, so one of the things that is critical to the concept of living a holy life in response to God's holiness is that our character needs to grow over time. We need to become holy people, and we have the capacity to become more and more righteous over time as God moulds us and shapes us and grows our character. Uh, so I'm going to look at two sides to that. One is the kind of like the journey of life and the development of our character over time. But then also, one is the role of the Spirit and how he brings fruit into our lives from his presence and activity with us. And I would suggest those two things, the journey of your character and the role of the Holy Spirit are intertwined in your life to help you to be a holy person, to, to be that holy nation that God's called you to be. Okay? So we're going to look at the story of Peter a little bit this evening. Peter is one of these characters that I keep coming back to as just a, a great resource to learn from. And um, I would say Peter was a risk taker. That was definitely part of his character. And I actually think that's totally necessary if you're going to build a church. If you're someone that never takes a big risk or doesn't want to step out and have a go at something, do not attempt to build a church because you have to take risks in order to put a church into place. You have to be the kind of person that goes, well, why not? Let's do this. Let's get people together. Let's meet. Let's resist this group over here who hate what we're doing. Let's do this. Let's do this. All the time you're taking risks. You're setting things out. You're creating something from nothing. It's, it feels like 
Uh, I would say, I would feel that sometimes as a pastor, right, okay, well, this needs to now happen. Let's do this. Let's create this. And so he's a risk taker, um, and, and, and that was a great quality in him, but it was also something that had an edge to it that sometimes it didn't work. Um, so I would say that all of our core traits and our character have great things about them, but they also have a flip side that can, it can go wrong. We know that, don't we? We can have things about us that are fantastic, things about us that, oh, okay, we've, we've dropped the ball here. So I'm going to take you through the journey of Peter in a series of six threes that I've spotted in Scripture uh, in Peter's life. That They teach us a lot about God's desire to, to, to kind of build holiness into us. So, first three threes. Three steps by Peter into the unknown. The first step, we've touched on it already, that he decides to follow Jesus. Decides to follow Jesus. There's this episode where they're, they're fishing, they don't catch anything. Uh, Jesus asks to use the boat, and then he says to Peter, go over there, you can catch something. And Peter says, well, I don't think so, we've been out all night. He says, well, just trust me, and goes off, catches all these fish. He's completely astounded. Jesus, uh, Peter suddenly realized that he's in the presence of someone completely holy and says, get away from me, Jesus, I'm a sinful man, which we touched on as well. Jesus totally ignores that. Have you noticed that? Jesus just doesn't take any notice of Peter saying, I'm a sinful man, but gives him a massive commission right there and then. That's just totally, totally God right there, isn't it? He, 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 he doesn't argue with you over your self-statement about sin, but he doesn't pay it so much attention that it becomes defining for you. What he wants to do is to define you another way. And that's an aspect of holiness, that God's holiness comes in and redefines you so that you're not being defined by your own thoughts about your own sin. God's wanting very much to define you by his thoughts about his holiness over your life. That's very interesting to me that Peter doesn't get a kind of... Jesus doesn't say, oh, yeah, well, yeah, you're right, Peter. Yeah, we need to, we need to work on that. He doesn't say that. He gives him a completely different paradigm, a completely different thing. Come and fish for men. Okay? Now, but, but Peter was willing to drop... It says at the end of Luke 5, uh, I think verse 11, it says he dropped everything and followed Jesus. That's a massive risk, and he took it, and it was a great risk to take. Great risk to take. So the second thing that Peter very famously did, and we did a message back on, on this back in May, I think it was, he walks on water. He took a risk, saw Jesus on the water, said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. Jesus says, yes, it is me, uh, it is I. He steps out of the boat, and he's the only person in history who stands on something totally fluid, and somehow God does something incredible with that. And then, as we know, he kind of uh, looks at the waves and... The wobbles and falls off his bike and Jesus had to go grab, you know, all of that, okay? But he took the risk. And that's such an admirable thing that Peter did, okay? Then another thing, now I think Peter gets a bit of bad rap for this. I actually think this comes from a great place. They're up on the mountain, they see Elijah and Moses talking to Jesus, they're all wearing incredibly bright, daz bright clothes and it's just incredibly wonderful and an incredibly mystical encounter. And his immediate response is to want to build church. Have you ever noticed that? You ever noticed that? Peter's kind of almost instant response is, hey, let's build church. Is that wrong? I don't think that's wrong. Like he gets like, let's be, build three shelters, and Jesus is like, well, no, that's not right, and you, know, you can't trap God in a building and all that stuff. I actually think it's great that Peter's instant response to something really holy as an encounter is, build, let's build church. That is why he was called to build the church. God was looking for somebody whose instantaneous response is, I just want to build church and make it happen and let's get this on the road. It is kind of what I think. And I actually think that's an admirable thing. Now, I know that Peter gets bad press for that. But it's not like the others had a great big reaction, did it? Did they? They don't stand out as having 
a significant reaction, and that sometimes isn't isn't so isn't so great. So three steps into the unknown that I personally admire. I think they're great. Okay, that risk taker in the character, and I want you to think about what's the, what's the thing in your character that you're both good, but also get caught out on. Be thinking what that might be for you. So three not so great behaviours. Uh, John 13, Last Supper. Jesus gets a towel and starts washing the disciples' feet. Um, You'll never wash my feet, Lord. It's a kind of a rash statement. He's not really listening to Jesus. He's not really receiving properly from Jesus. He's being all gung-ho and declarative and woohoo and come on, Jesus, we can do this and we'll do it my way and what are you talking about? It, it, it's, he's, it, there's just a rashness and a hastiness there that's not so great. It comes from that same place of risk-taking, but it's just the wrong decision. It's not the right thing. And then we have in Matthew 26, uh, 33, 35, again, a, a, you know, a Last Supper statement. I'll, I'll never desert you, Lord. He's not really thought through the cost there. And the risk-takers in the room will know sometimes, watch your, watch your mouth before you make the statement and the, and the commitment. <laughs> I, as, a, as a person, uh, I've spent some time in the IT world as a project manager, and I've had to spend a lot of time working on, okay, I need to make my word conform to my actions. So if I make a statement, I need to work hard to make sure that what I've said becomes true. Otherwise, I'm just talk, not delivery. Um, and that's important to me, and that's probably why I ended up in sort of project management, because I quite like the discipline of, okay, well, let's say these things, and then let's make them happen. So Peter appeals to me, because he gets this wrong a bit, and then he starts to get it right, which I like. I like that. And then, of course, he gets a sword out in John's account of the, the garden, starts swinging it around, and cuts off Malchus's ear. That is not a great call, is it? That's instantaneous response. That, this is the man who'll instantly build a church, but also instantly have a go, and has a go the wrong way. Yeah? Okay? So three steps into the unknown that I see are admirable, but also three decisions, and we know other things that Jesus did, uh, sorry, Peter did, where he said, yeah, you're the Christ. And then a couple of verses later, it's like, no, you can't do your mission, Jesus, and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. So th this, aren't, this isn't exhaustive. Um, I left those two out, because otherwise it wouldn't be threes. Yeah? <laughs> there we go. Okay. Um, then we get into three denials of the person he claimed to love and follow. Very famously, we, we don't need to look at that at great length, but we know that. Jesus says, oh, you know, Satan has given me permission to sift you like wheat, and before the night's out, there's going to be, you're going to deny me three times. And actually, in the Garden of Gethsemane as well, we have three instances where he gives in to the flesh. He gives in, and he falls asleep. How many of us here in the room have had that one of those mornings? I'm going to get up, and I'm going to pray. And Gary's friends told me that. And I am praying, and I'm going to get up. And you get up, and you make tea, and you're like, oh. And you, you do the fatal thing of sitting on the bed again. And suddenly it's like, oh, it's time to go to work. Yeah. It's hard. You have to fight your flesh sometimes in order to have those times with God. You do. You have to do it. And fight it, and Peter struggles, struggles. But in fact, all three of them fall asleep in the garden, don't they? And uh, Jesus comes back and he says, "Could you not watch and pray with me for one hour?" You know, which is not a long time, is it? Really, uh, in the big picture of what happened over those three days. Okay, so he gives into the flesh those three times, and uh, and that's falls asleep. Then again, very famously, there are three restorations by Jesus on the beach over the charcoal fire with the fish being cooked and. 
this is the second time that Jesus, uh, that Peter jumps out of a boat. You notice that? Jumps out of the boat when he thinks he sees Jesus again for the second time. Realises it's Jesus and wants to go towards him again. That's a nice thing that's included in the, in the Gospels. There's an initial, I want to take risks for you, Jesus. And then in the restoration, it's very much couched in the same kind of way of, I'm going to step out of the boat for you again, Jesus. And that would have been hard for Peter. He'd have not felt great about that. You ever have one of those situations where you've really stuffed up with someone, you have to come, go to them and fix it and sort it out. So Peter did that. And I'm starting to see the beginnings of more maturity there, of realising, oh, I really have stuffed up and I need to mend this. So he doesn't run away from Jesus, doesn't abandon the faith. He actually goes to Jesus and Jesus restores him very kindly. And actually the three is like a parallel of the three denials, isn't it? It's the, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? It's almost like it lays down and balances out the denials. Okay. What I find fascinating is if you look through the letters of Peter, that last point there, he says three times in his letters, uh, be sober and alert. Three different occasions. So 1 Peter 1.13, 1 Peter 4.7, um, and 1 Peter 5.8. He actually says those statements three times. And I think that's very significant because this is a man, 20, 30 years later, who's learned his Gethsemane lesson of not falling asleep. He's learned it. He knows that when he gets up in the morning, he needs to pray, and he needs to be on it, and he needs to be sober and alert and on point, and not drifting off and being all relaxed. <laughs> he needs to be on it. He knows it, and he's now teaching it. And so what I want to say to you is that, let's just go through some of the, the examples that I think Peter's example teaches to us in character. And this is all, remember, this session is called Living the Holy Life. So let, listen to what I think we're, we're, we're being taught by Peter's example here. We have some core traits that have both neg uh, positive and negative sides to them. And you kind of might know what yours might be. There can be a gap with, between what we claim verbally, but then what we actually do. And God, God often gets his holiness into that gap and goes, hmm, okay, that's not, that's not quite right, is it? You've said this, but you're doing this. We need Jesus' forgiveness and his love and grace and restoration to move forwards in our character development. That's absolutely essential. I came across a phrase the other day, I think it's on a preaching course that Pastor Mark's been sharing with some of us on the team. I just thought this was a super phrase. Um, you get much better results by loving people. Yeah, sorry, you get... You, um, yeah, you don't judge people into better behaviour, you love them into better behaviour. I thought, oh, that is really good, I like that a lot. So if Jesus had been on the beach with, with, uh, with Peter at the end, you know, the end of John's Gospel, um, and uh, Peter had kind of walked up to him and was like, oh, crestfallen, and Jesus said, well, you know, yeah, you did deny me, didn't you? You know, that's, <laughs> there's no one that can argue with that, Peter. Come on. How would Peter have felt about that? He knew it was there, it didn't need to be said. So, I, you know, I sometimes think if, you, if you're loving somebody, that's a far better route to them changing their behaviour to become more holy than judging them to become more holy. And in fact, that's a bit like the mirror between the Old Testament and the New Testament, isn't it? The Old Testament's a little bit like, well, here's the law, and you kind of don't match up, guys, and you keep falling. What's going on? And then Jesus comes along as, no, I'm going to love you, and if you receive me, my love for you will be big enough to overcome that. Does that make sense? Yep. Are you following me still? Are you, are you still with it? Okay, right. Um, last thing I would say is that mature character has deeply learned uh, lessons carved into it over time. 
that we should pass on to others. And that's the example I see in Peter's life. He's writing about his experience. He's giving counsel about, here's some things I fell into. Don't you fall into it in the same way. Yeah? Um, have a little think just where you are to yourself. You don't need to share this with anyone. What is the character trait that is both a great blessing in your life, but also you've tripped up with sometimes? Now, I'll tell you, I'll tell you mine, just, or one of mine. I've got many. Um, not you know, that I get tripped up in, I mean. Um, but, sorry, that sounded so bad, didn't it? Um, one thing I'm, I work on is that I'm quite a communicative person, but then that sometimes means I'm over-communicative and I don't need to say as much as I'm saying, if you see what I mean. So sometimes less is more in communication. So it's not a big thing, but it's like, yeah, do you need to say all those things? Just shut up and listen sometimes. It's kind of, so it's good to communicate lots, that's great. But, mm, okay, why don't you back off and listen a bit more? So what's the thing, just have a pause for a moment, let the Spirit speak to you. What's the thing you think, hmm, I'm great at that in the Lord. He's made me that way. But then sometimes I'm, that fires off in the wrong direction. And the example would be Peter, called to build a church. God totally sees that in him. His instantaneous response is to try and build a church when he's confronted by God up on the mountain. But is, is that rash action taking always the right thing? Just have a moment. Just have a moment. What's the thing for you? I'm just going to pray over that thing, whatever that thing you brought to mind is, and we're just going to ask that the Lord would morph that into greater and greater effectiveness for you, greater and greater holiness, and less and less mistakes and it being taken the wrong way. So I'm just going to pray over you. Holy Spirit, I just pray that whatever the things were that were brought up in the minds of the people in the room tonight, that you have put there for your good purpose and your good pleasure, Whatever those things are, I pray this evening, Holy Spirit, that you would take those on to even be even more sharp, even better than they are now, even more purpose-filled, even holier. Take them on to the next level, I pray, Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, I just pray and a, a kind of a guard and a protection over when, the, when that gifting and that strength strays off and it falls off and it gets used in the wrong way. Help us to be very teachable about that, Lord, in our spirits this evening. Take us to the next level of Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen. <coughs> With me so far? Any observations? Any questions? Anything you want to say? You know this part that says, um, uh, Peter says in John 13, you never wash my feet, Lord. Could have been that he was thinking, I'm so unworthy that you cannot come close to me rather than being too arrogant. Maybe he was just too feeling so low like himself that he's thinking, you're too good for me, like in a way. And then he you're said, wash my whole body. You're kind of right. He's, what, but what Peter's guilty of is taking the thing that the Lord wants to give him and making it to the max. Making it more than it was that the Lord wanted to do. So if it's washing his feet, oh, I wash my whole body. Well, you know, and or sorry, if it's yeah, it, it's taking the thing that Jesus wants to do for you and amplifying that in a slightly fleshly way. I think trying to trying to make it slightly more than what Jesus was doing for you. 
And so I think, I think the message in that, Mark, there's a great point you make. I think the message for us in that is, what's the moderate thing that Jesus would actually have us do, rather than the extreme thing we might be tempted to do, or the, the, the big thing we want to show everybody that we're doing because we're so wanting to follow Jesus? I don't know, that's my sense. I think it starts in a very humble place, but then it goes into a crazy place that will completely wash me, and it's like it's oscillating around this central point of, well, no, Jesus just wants to do this. And so maybe the lesson for us is, what's the thing that Jesus just wants to do for us that we don't need to amplify or change? Because there's a temptation, isn't there? In the, in the Christian life, I think there's a temptation sometimes that when Jesus does something with you, it's, just, it's, it's so good when he does something with you, you kind of think, well, more, uh, you know, do that more. And that sometimes isn't always the case. It's just Jesus is deftly doing just the right thing for you. And there's a skill and a maturity in that, I think, to just receive. Now, that's just right for me. Uh, is my answer. Anyone else? Anyone else want to comment on that episode where, where Peter, you know, is being, I think he's being a little rash, but it's only slightly. And it's understandable, but it's not quite right. What do you think? I just think it's like, I think it's wrong because it's almost like he's saying, I know better than you, Lord. Mm. Yes. So he comes and he says, let me wash your feet. And he goes, no. Well, the Lord's telling you, let me wash you, I'm going to wash your feet. So that should be enough. So you just obey that. Yeah. But Peter's saying, oh no, like he knows better. And then he comes back again and says, oh, wash me up. Well, the Lord said, I'm going to wash your feet. Yeah. So, just obey that and just submit yeah, to that. Yeah, that's a great answer. I think it's a kind of it's a caution against all extremism, really, yeah. isn't it? Of taking something more than was intended from God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a great answer, Debbie. Okay, so let's move on to the final part of the thing tonight that I want to look at. So, just recapping very briefly, the holiness of God is absolutely core to who he is. But our journey as Christians is about maturing in solid, definite ways. And we see evidence of that in Peter's life, that he journeys to, be, to being more, more of a holy person over the, over the long haul, not just the short haul. But we also have a great form of assistance in the presence of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. Uh, and, and what it teaches us in Galatians chapter 5, that famous passage about the fruit of the Spirit, is that we must live by the Spirit and walk in step with the Spirit. And that what happens over time when that happens is that you see fruit from that. Uh, and so just as um, you know, a farmer would go out in January and plough the fields with a tractor and sow loads of seed much later down the line, the expectation would be that there would be a whole crop springing up that that farmer could go and harvest and bring into the barn. The same is true spiritually of what God sows into us through his, uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. Okay. Um, now, we know that those are described for us in Galatians, and it, uh, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Um, and it means, when, we, when, when Paul is writing to the Galatians to say, walk by the Spirit, it means live your daily life very intentionally with that sense that you are in the company of four. What do I mean by that? Well, there's you, there's the Holy Spirit, there's Jesus, and there's God. There's always four of you, always, if you think about it. But the person you're focusing on particularly is the presence of the Spirit. When you walk in step with the Spirit, it's a fantastic way of living. It's just great. And when you're out of step with the Spirit, you feel it, you don't feel quite on form, it's just jars, it's not quite right. 
It's a combination of some subtle things and some great things when it's working, and then when it's not working, you kind of feel it and sense it. And it, I, any times in, in my journey as a Christian where I've not been quite in step with the Spirit, I felt it and I regret it. I don't like it. I know I'm out of kilter somehow. Does anyone else identify with that feeling? That might be because of some sort of stupid sin I've got into or something silly I've said or something that's bugging me in a way that's sending the Spirit away. Um, but when the Spirit's near you and you're sensing the Spirit speaking to you, it's a great thing. And it's such an assistance to who you are as a person, day-to-day living. Um, sometimes um, if I go on a pastoral visit to see somebody, I sense what the Spirit is saying that I should say to that person. And when that happens, I just feel completely in the centre of God's will. Just think, oh, that's just great. You've told me exactly the kind of thing I need to bring up. And when I get there, sure enough, that's the way the conversation goes. It's almost like I don't even need to engineer it. It just happens. That's what I mean by walking in the Spirit, is that you're tuning in to being very close to the Spirit. At the beginning of Luke's Gospel, he talks about a couple of people who kind of pitch up in the temple. Anyone remember their names? And Anna and Simeon. What strikes me about Anna and Simeon, from the way Luke writes it, was it seems to me that they heard from the Spirit that morning in their prayer time, or that day, hey, go into the temple because you're going to see something you've been waiting for for a long time. Just go. And it's like, it's, it says in the text, I think, at that very moment, up came Simeon. And then the, I think Anna's been waiting for the, I think it's the phrase, the consolation of Israel for a long time. She's been a widow for years. And it, the sense you get is the Spirit has said, go, it's, it's today. And she's gone, oh, yeah, okay, right. And she's there, and it's a really, really nice encounter. And what, I'm, what I encourage for you is that that walking step of the Spirit is the listening to the whisper of the Spirit. Sorry to pick on you, Glenda, but you are someone, for me, that does that quite a bit. You listen to the Spirit, you have a chat with God on the bus, you suddenly direct it to a book, you give someone a book, you're then directed to this conversation. I like that in your faith. I just want to celebrate you for that. Something that encourages me when you do that. Okay. So yes, walking. Sorry. I was praying the night before so that he would leave me. And I walked, and I came to the door. It was a bed open for him, for the guy. But it was a guy standing in a grey shirt. And I, it didn't, didn't dawn on me at all. And then when we started food bank, and I was, he was the only one left in, in, in food bank at the time, the only client. And I bring up to him, and it just came straight in again. So I walked <laughs> up to him like this. The man in the, God wanted to pray with the man in the grey shirt. And he was a Muslim guy. You <laughs> might want to not want to do a gun symbol to a Muslim. I've got a grey shirt. I'm not a Muslim. But I've been over here and I'm coming up okay, yeah. with a grey shirt. And he was saying, how did, how did God know that? He said, I really want some prayer this morning because I really, really need a job. Great. See, that's a, that's a, a great example of walking in step with the Spirit. And in your prayer time, you felt a prompting from God. You then kind of being, your conscience, and your, your consciousness to it has been raised. You're looking out for that. And it dawns on you right at the right time to do the right thing. And sometimes those timing things are very finely balanced and, and perfect in the way they're executed. Okay, so walking by the Spirit means you're living life very intentionally. And it means being very open to the promptings of the Spirit. So I've got a little exercise for you to do with the groups that you did. Uh, you can do this on your own if you want to, um, or you can do it as a couple or a three. 
Um, I've listed some examples of what I think are good instances of staying in step with the Spirit. So we've got staying open, hearing from God, resisting temptation, showing gentleness, making tough choices, going across the page, being disciplined and having self-control, listening for Jesus' voice in our Bible readings, being a joyful person, being under submission at church, being willing to hear our accountability people and what they're telling us, staying faithful, being reflective enough to allow a change of a previously held position, staying teachable, making a decision to be loving even when we feel totally like the opposite on the inside. Goodness. So that's not a completely exhaustive list. I've just gone, well, what would, what would these be? Kind of here are some examples of trying to stay in step with the spirit in a practical way. So what I want you to do is in your little groups is do three, because we've, we're nearly out of time. What I want you to do is pick three biblical examples of each of these instances. Okay? You can't include Jesus, I'm sorry, he's off limits, because he's all of them. Like, if you think about it, he's just going to be the model, isn't he? You can't include Jesus. Um, so, for example, I'll take one off of your list, but it might be being reflective, being reflective enough to allow a change of previously held position. A great biblical example of that would be Romans 12, where it says, allow, you know, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. A great instance of that. And then, in the right-hand column, what I want you to do, of all of these perhaps, put a tick against the one that you kind of often get right. You're really good at this. You're just a really gentle person. You know, you're actually, or you're a really pretty disciplined person. You're always hitting the gym and you're always kind of doing that quiet time from 5 a.m. and all that stuff, you know. Yeah, like Rivi. Rivi's a very, very disciplined person, okay? Um, so put a tick in the column where you think, you know what, I hit that pretty well and I'm not being prideful, I just know myself and we're good, me and God are good on this one. But then, maybe put a question mark against one that you think, oh, okay, yeah, that is a challenge. I find that hard. <laughs> so that might be all of them, I don't know. But have a look through the list. No, I'm teasing you, Gaudi. Just, I want to give material for your friend to be thinking about. So, so do two, three minutes on that, pick a few out and see if you can find a biblical example, not including Jesus, for one of those. And then what's the one you're great at? What's the one there's a bit of a question mark over? And remember, these are staying in the step with the Spirit examples that are to do with you living a holy life. Okay?